Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today, I welcome return guest A.L. Tate, internationally published best-selling author of a middle grade adventure series, The Mapmaker Chronicles and The Maven and Reeve Mysteries, a multi-genre writer, teacher and speaker with many years experience in magazines, newspapers and online publishing. Alison is co-host of your Kids Next Read podcast and former co-host of the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast. Podcast. Today we're going to talk about her new book, The First Summer of Callie McGee, but we're also going to slip in a couple of other useful tips, hopefully, for authors trying to publicise their book and, you know, any other things that we riff about on the way. Welcome back, Al. Thanks so much for having me, Danny. particularly with that sexy voice you've got going on there for me tonight. I'm very excited. Well, I've just tried to match yours, Al, because I've always said you've got the best <laughs> podcast voice in the history of the earth. And so it's going like... to be a voice-off here oh, on Words and Nerds. <laughs> it just so happens that your voice is like that all the time. My voice is only like that when I'm hit with this terrible flu. I know, you poor thing. You poor sausage. I do feel sad that I'm sitting here making you speak when you've got, you know, razor blades in your throat. But anyway, yeah, look, let's, the razor talk, blades let's talk literary off. goodness. Let's talk literary goodness. The, the, I've just, you know, I always talk about how I never get sick. So sucked into me. Here I am a week mm, in. Mm. <laughs> and, but, you know, razor blades are gone. It's just the fatigue and the funky voice that I may have to mute to cough. But, you know, it's winter. We're all going to get something. And if there's gonna, if there's a weird pause, it's because Danny's muted and is coughing and I'm attempting to fill the space. So Correct. please forgive me. Everyone. Correct. <laughs> but I will edit if there's any weirdness <laughs> going on. But I just thought the disclaimer was important because I think so. Always. You never know what's Always. going on. Oh, keep it real, Al. Keep it real. Absolutely. <laughs> well, before we go off on many tangents, which I'm sure we will, um, hit me with an elevator pitch. This beautiful book coming out August. I knew you were going to do this to me. And yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm really not very practised on the elevator pitch at this point because I'm sort of easing my way into the interviews. But the first summer of Callie McGee is I'm describing it as a cosy mystery for middle grade readers. Um, it's about Callie. It's the last summer before she starts high school and she has been dragged along to yet another family friends holiday. You know, the holiday where you got to go with the family friends because your parents really love each other, Absolutely. but you don't necessarily they love each other so she she goes off on this thing it's she's about to start high school she's absolutely determined that she's going to start high school as someone else she is not going to be nerdy calliope jean marie <laughs> mcgee anymore she's going to be cj doesn't actually work out for her that well but <laughs> 
the, she ends up with a gang of kids uh, trying to solve a mystery. There's a whole bunch of houses being burgled in this tiny holiday village where they are staying um, and they go to see if they can solve the mystery of who is actually doing all of the stealing. So it's kind of like a coming-of-age meets an old-fashioned, you know, detective mystery for kids. It's about growing – well, this I'll read you the little blurb at the, at the end because I really love it. It's a middle-grade mystery about growing up, figuring things out and solving the puzzle of who you are. Ah, and I just, that. I love it. I love it. And there's all sorts of shenanigans in this book. I was like, wow, there's so much. There's a nemesis, a series of burglaries, a ghost, a gang, a missing person. How there's did... a lot going on. And you know the fascinating thing about it? It's okay. probably, oh, it's, this sorry. I don't know Check why Siri's talking. We did not invite her into this interview, but she's given us some tips That's about hilarious. ghosts. She's going to tell us about burglaries and ghosts. That's great. <laughs> I'm um, not even going to edit that out because that's No, funny. I think you should leave it in because I actually <laughs> I like the fact that Siri wants to join the conversation. Who knows what else she will have for us. So the interesting thing about this book is it's the shortest book that I've um, ever written um, in the sense that my my fantasy novels uh, tend to you know go on for days, or they're you know fifty five to sixty five thousand words, which for a middle grade novel is is a solid read. Um, so this is actually um, more in the forty thousand word mark. Um, so I got a lot of stuff in in the forty thousand word mark, and I wanted to write something that was really high kind of interest and you know stuff happening, but was also just great beach read it's an escape read it's it's not going to you know take a kid three weeks to like work their way through it um so it was a bit of a challenge for me to do that it's also my first contemporary novel that's been published all of my other work um in the children's space is you know sort of I call it adventure mystery almost history so it's kind of fantasy light this is also adventure and mystery but there's no history well there's a little historical bit in there but it's a contemporary story um so I found myself writing in this contemporary world which you would think wouldn't you would be easier than having <laughs> to create an entire world and a kingdom and a whole social strata from scratch but it's actually not um I found it really quite interesting because you are so much more constrained in the real world because kids know where stuff is and they know how stuff works and you can't get away with anything. So that was quite an interesting, that was a challenge for me who has been used to going, yeah, I wonder how they did that in this particular world and then just made it up. Um, whereas in the first summer of Callie McGee, I actually had to make it work in the, the actual world, which was tougher for me. Mm, I really love that. Even the cover is so different from what you've done before. And mm. I was going to ask you, you know, the different direction, you know, how did that feel? So it was a little bit challenging and surprisingly so, but how did it feel to sort of delve into something else? Look, I just, it was it was a really fun. It was just a challenge I set for myself. Um, I actually started writing this book a couple of years ago. Um, it's been on the boil for quite a while and it it's inspired by um, a holiday house that I that used to be owned by some friends of mine, um, and it's sort of a little south coast holiday village, and we used to spend time there in this house, and it was just the most amazing. Like it was the daggiest house, like this nineteen seventies double story brick number, but it was in the most spectacular location so you looked out the back off the deck and you were sort of looking out straight over the rock pools into the ocean um, you went around the corner and there was this massive stretch of you know um, of beach it's just a beautiful beautiful place and I remember being there and thinking I'm going to write a story about this house one day you know I'm going to do this story 
And I wanted it to be a mystery because I, I wanted to write the kind of mystery I loved reading when I was a kid. And the kinds of mysteries I loved reading as a kid were groups of kids getting together and solving mysteries. And there was always, you know, the kinds of books I read back in the 70s, because, you know, I'm 100, um, <laughs> there was always an element, there was a big element of risk in them. Like it, it was yeah. sort of like kids were chasing smugglers and they were having guns pulled on them. And they were, you know, like I was reading Trixie Belden and she was diving around in old houses. And, you know, it, you know, it was just, a, and I loved that aspect of them because I, you could experience it without having to do it. I could be tucked up in my bed, happy as a clam, but all of this exciting stuff was going on. And what I loved was the relationship between those kids. I loved the fact that they, you know, bonded together and did all this sort of stuff. So I wanted to write that sort of story and I wanted to set it in this place that held so many great memories for me. And the house is very much present in this book. I mean, I sent a copy to the owner today um, because I've dedicated the book to the owners and I sent it to them and I'm like, I I set this in your house. You won't recognise your house, Mm -hmm. but you will recognise feelings and you will recognize just elements like you'll recognize the you know the backs of your legs sticking to the vinyl seats and you'll recognize you know those sorts of things and you'll recognize the view off the back deck so the house I've moved around a bit because I needed needed it to be in sort of different ways but um, I think that's one of the joys of being a writer is that you take the the feelings that you love about places um, and you take a place that you love and then you kind of just shape it with the story and with the characters into an entirely different place. So I guess in some ways I was constructing, you know, reconstructing a world in my head to write this book. Um, but again, with the contemporary setting and the contemporary kids, uh, there was just more constraints. And I think the biggest restraint is always technology. Mm. Um language and technology so you need to be so careful with language because slang is like so uncool within about four seconds (laughs) and by the time you've spent three years writing a book and then it comes out you know like it's so daggy um so you kind of got to make up your own slang always so that wasn't really different um but technology is hard because you know if you're going to have any aspect of technology in your book it dates your book so badly so you really have to think about how you're going to use that as well yeah it's interesting because you can't not include it because it's such a huge part of kids lives and our lives as well but then you you don't want to be putting my space in your book either no and you've also (laughs) got to think and and in this middle grade space you've also got to be very careful about how you use it because technically you're writing for eight to twelve year olds technically they're not old enough to be on instagram they're not old enough you know like but by the terms and conditions um and you know and 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 parents and teachers and you know various and publishers are, are quite specific about that stuff you know it's it's you've actually got to give a lot of thought to how you're going to incorporate this stuff but as you say you can't leave it out because if you leave it out it, it it's not real it doesn't feel real so mm. you've kind of got to walk that line between making it feel as kind of genuine as possible whilst also fictionalizing it to the point where it's um, manageable for the age group that you're writing for. Yeah, absolutely. Now, at the heart of this book, which I love and I think is so important, not only for kids, but for all of us, is solving the puzzle of who we are. Important to explore. But, you know, I wonder if we ever solve that puzzle, (laughs) no matter how old we are. No, no, we don't. But the thing that's fascinating about it is that I think that at every sort of stage, there's, there's a, there are a few different stages in our lives where we really 
have to come to grips with this stuff. And I think that 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 period just before you go to high school is one of them. And I think the period sort of as you sort of, oh, year nine, let's talk about year nine, um, as you sort of work through year nine and 10, and then as you sort of leave school, that those are the periods I think in your in your teen years where you're really grappling with how you're going to present yourself to the world sort of thing. And, um, and Callie's very much, you know, grappling with that because she's been this massive nerd in primary school and you know frankly she still is a massive nerd don't tell her I said that but she is a massive nerd and she she but she wants to be different she wants something else for herself and I think that's what we all have and that's what we carry with us most of our lives is there's always going to be some part of us that wants wants something about ourselves to be different and wants want some sort of you know something to be better for ourselves and it's that realization I think that who you are is enough and I think that if you can get to that point you know for each stage of your life then it sets you up better for the question the next time around and that's kind of the thing that she grapples with and it's she she plays it then I use the name to play around with it a little bit so she's her full name is Calliope Jean um which I love um, and her mum loves. And so she's always called Calliope Jean. Um, but she wants to be CJ. You know? She wants to be cool. Like she wants to be like hanging out and doing stuff. And um, so that's what she's trying on for size. Um, but in the middle is Callie. And Callie is a little bit Calliope Jean and she's a little bit CJ. So she discovers that attempting to be CJ all the time is actually exhausting. Um, and so she kind of comes to terms with the fact that maybe being Callie is actually all right. Mm, and I like that idea because, you know, I like being a nerd. Um, see, no problem with that at all. But I think, no. you know, leaning into who you are, and that's really hard when you're younger. But I think as you get older, you sort of say, well, this is who I am. And yes. I'll just attract those like-minded people who accept yeah. and like me for who I am and everyone else. Well, oh, well, you know. So but, you I know, think... it takes a lot of maturity to get to that point. Yeah, because absolutely. Because when, when, we, when we're sort of like 12 going on 13, yeah. all we want to do you is be, be accepted accepted be yeah. like everyone else be be part of it be cool be popular be all those sorts of things like yeah. um and I think you know that this is one of those things where you uh, writing this story you know when you're creating a character like this you're always diving really deep into what you felt like when you were that age but also observing obviously like my my boys are now um 19 and 16, but, you know, watching them go through these sort of phases of, of, you know, trying to fit in and trying to, trying to be one of the gang and like, yeah. why are you doing this to yourself, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think, you know, you, you draw on all of those things when you're, when you're creating a character like Callie at this particular age, you know, yeah, for sure. she buys the lip gloss because she was ready to be, to be next, you know, and they're all like, you know, when you are that you're on the verge of being a woman and she just like loses her mind at that point <laughs> because it's such an adult thing to say to a 12 year old who then just like goes, no, don't do that. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be an adult most days, Al. So, no, you know. no. You know, I do like putting that idea in kids' heads, even though it's probably not going to evolve, like you say, until there is maturity, but the idea that it is okay to be whoever you are. And I think that message Absolutely. just needs to be reiterated until you're comfortable with that as well because you're right, Absolutely. it does take time to do that. It does. Uh, I want to go on a bit of a tangent here and talk about, you know, you've been in the biz for a long time and I, I do want to talk about 
publicity and how you do that because we were speaking a little bit off um offline and you know i was saying well my technique is how you just do everything and see what sticks which may not be you know the best directed sort of way but you know i've got a couple of ideas but what do you do what's your jam well, it's um, it's always an interesting one. I'm actually sort of, you know, sitting here, I'm writing enormously. So I was joking online yesterday that I've got a list of things to do um, over the next sort of, you know, six to eight weeks to kind of try and, and get the word out about the book. And the list of things to do is actually longer than the actual book, I think, at this point. Um, but it's, it's about sort of taking charge of what you can do. Um, and one of the things that I've you know, talked about for years on So You Want to Be a Writer and as, as part of the teaching stuff that I do is I think often with debut authors, there's an expectation, you know, that the publisher is going to do it for them. And I think one thing that you realise pretty quickly is that, you know, it doesn't matter how much, um, you know, work your publisher is able to put in or can put in for you. They have other authors on their books, uh, you know, books coming out at the same time. Um, it all depends on how much budget you get, et cetera. Um, but generally speaking, your publicist has only really got a couple of weeks to work with you um, on your book. So it, it's really about you um, taking that on and also taking it forward and continuing to do things um, that you can do for yourself. So things that I do, I guess, I mean, obviously I, I have my social media um, platforms. I have a podcast, you know, I talk about the book uh, on that sort of thing, but I also like, I really start local. So I have good contacts with all of my local media radio stations, um, you know, because I, I, I don't, I don't live in a capital city. I'm a couple of hours south on the New South Wales coast. Um, so I reach out to all of them whenever, you know, I've got a book coming out. And tr what I try to do, I always approach it like a journalist because that's my background. So rather than just, oh, here's Alison with another book, I try to give them an angle. Like I always try to think of a way that we can have a conversation about my work and me in a way that's meaningful to their audience and in a way that's meaningful to them. So this time around, um, I've actually got the local angle in the sense that the book is set in a fictionalised version of a, you know, of a seaside town around here. So I, I'm able to go in with that sort of angle. I'm going to launch it at a library, um, which is the closest one I can get to the beach that I'm that, that I'm writing about. Um, so you know, I'll, I'll approach the local uh, newspaper about the fact that the launch is happening. I'm also doing some workshops and things um, over the month of August um, in different locations sort of up and down the coast. So, you know, there's there's possibilities for some radio um, interviews around that sort of stuff. I'll be doing workshops for adults about writing for children, but I'm also doing um, some sort of like talks in libraries, you know, for kids. So I, I always try to think of different, you know, different ways that I can approach the, the conversation. Because if I went to a particular place last time that a book came out, so The Wolf's Howl came out in 2021. Um, if I went there and, and I did a children's presentation, I'll contact those people and say, look, I've got a new book, but how about this time I come and I do X, you know, for adults. And I think that's one of the things, I guess, all of these years of doing various um, you know, creative writing, teaching roles for kids and for adults has given me uh, the confidence and also the presentations. I, like, I have a whole raft of different things that I can do um, based around, you know, different books. And I'm putting together a new one um, for this one, a, a new for this book, for the first summer of Callie McGee. 
I'm putting together a new presentation for kids, which will focus on looking at the places you know and finding the stories in them, because that's what's happened here with me. The inspiration has come from the place. And so it's about sort of like you can write what you know, um, but you can sort of shape that into something else, you know, to pull out the feelings, pull out some of the local landmarks that you love, but you can rename it. You can turn it upside down. You can have it peopled by dinosaurs if you want. You can do whatever you want. So I try to think about those sorts of things. Um, I will send out a media release to those those people and then I sort of look at where can I go online who might want to hear from me so I've got a whole range of contacts in sort of like the parenting blog space because I had a parenting blog you know 13 years ago and so I will often contact them and say how about I write a blog post for you about why escape reads are really important for kids and you know so I'll talk about that and I'll include a little book list of you know 10 other escape reads for your kid that sort of thing so I, I think I always take uh, I think the journalistic approach to a lot of this stuff is like what's in it for not not just what's in it for me but what's in it for these people what can I bring to them that's going to allow that's going to make them say yes I'll give you my platform um for you to actually like talk about your book I think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, not only I'm a new author, but I do publicity with Larrikin House. And mm. what I've realised is that having a book is one thing, but mm. having a story outside the book yes. is invaluable. And you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because, you know, obviously My Shadow is Pink and My Shadow is Purple by Scott Stewart. That's been an enormous success because of, you know, his very personal story that has to do yes. with his own son. Yes. And so I approached my extraordinary mum in a very similar way because they were things that were really important to me, like women's identity after motherhood, feminism, single motherhood, anxiety, all those things. Yeah. So I started writing articles about that, which got picked up, you know, by Mama, Mama Mag, Mama Mia, and were published in a way that I'm still writing. And it's not about the book, so to speak, but at the end, it's like, oh, you know, Danny V, bio author of this book, blah, blah, blah. That's right. Yeah, and it's yeah. about building. It's about building and extending that profile for yourself as a writer, and you know, making sure that you get your book into the byline or somewhere into that into that article as you go yeah. through. Like I, I accept guest posts from authors on my blog um, because you know I have had a blog for a very long time, and I share those posts across all my social media into the Your Kids Next Read. Um, Facebook group, if it's, you know, if it's, which is now around 30,000 people, if it's, you know, in the right, you know, space, et cetera, et cetera. And it astonishes me the number of people, like they will pitch me a story and I'll say, yeah, great, you know, send it in. And they will send it in to me and I will get this post and I'll be like, where is your book? in here your book is not in this post you know yeah. and I will go through it and I will say put your book here put your book here put your book here um so it's it's about and I, I guess that's all it's a learning thing isn't it and I'm so I'm always happy to um you know to to say I think we should do this and put your book here and we should do this you know to to kind of show people how to maximize these things and I write blog posts about this I think I've actually got a I think I've actually got a blog post there, which is something about, you know, making the most of a guest blog post and how mm -hmm. to make sure that you and your book are present, you know, front and centre, but not in that weird sort of how do you like me so far kind of way. Like you've got to make <laughs> sure that it's that it's um, it's in a natural sort of a yeah. way. Yeah, well, I think authenticity is really important because yeah. I think and I th I'm, I'm hoping that that's 
going to be something that is more important because there are a lot of things on Instagram that, you know, aren't true or just, Mm. you know, little snippets of people's lives and, you know, we're all guilty while I am of using the filters and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there is that real need to go back to what's real, you know, and so that's why I have spoken about, you know, the anxiety that I've experienced and I speak about, you know, women's identity and my experience of motherhood because I think those real things are actually really valued in a society of Instagrammable photos. And I think if you're going to write blog posts or you're going to do those articles outside your book, I think authenticity is absolutely key. It it really is. And I think that's, to be honest with you, I think that's another reason why I like podcasts because I find, um, so I like, obviously I bang on relentlessly on my own podcast, but I also like visiting other people's podcasts because I find them very intimate. Mm, I think it's such absolutely. an intimate kind of a, it's A, an intimate conversation. And it's also, it's an intimate relationship with the listener because, you know, you've welcomed us and our voices into your ears <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I've, I, it's a privilege for us to be there. So I, I do really enjoy that. And I also find that um, it's just something about the format and the fact that I, I, you know, keep my camera off and I'm just chatting away to you and half the time I forget we're recording. Yeah, it's as true. You, as, as people who are listening may recognise <laughs> because I've been rabbiting. But, yeah, it's it's I find it a very intimate. Like radio is also, you know, intimate, but you're always aware that you're broadcasting mm-hmm. on radio, always. Uh, podcasting sometimes feels more personal to me. It does and I'm not sure what it is. It's almost like a phone call, but I wouldn't say that I love being on the phone, I've got to say. Um, I'd, no. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a much rather text us sort of person. Text mm. me if you want me. Me too. Yes. <laughs> but I, I do love this medium and, you know, I, we don't have our cameras on today. Um, mine because I look terrible and I'm very sick. Um, and you, me because I'm in my pyjamas. Well, I, I'm wearing a leopard <laughs> a leopard print oody at the moment. <laughs> oh, we're so glamorous, aren't we? <laughs> Being a children's author, it's so glamorous. It totally is. And oh. I was jealous of my kids who had these oodies on all the time. I'm like, geez, they look warm. And then I was thinking this for about three months and then it dawned on me, why don't I get myself one? Like, what, <laughs> Ooh, what's happening I could here? Have one too. <laughs> <laughs> like, why did it take me this long to think of that? Why am I cold? <laughs> why am I cold? Exactly. <laughs> why? No, I love all of that. And I think... Um, you know, I think as a writer, you're always trying to think of, of new ideas and innovative ideas just to get, you know, the you've got to get people to care about your books because you look at media and mainstream media and they just, unfortunately, they don't, there's not a lot of love if you've just got another book out, you know, it has to have something else or, you know, you've got to be someone who's been in the public eye, etc. So we kind of have to have to hustle, I reckon. Oh, you absolutely have to hustle. And I have to say, one of the things I really admire about the way that you throw things at the wall is that you're very present, like you're out there. Like I see you at bookshops. I see you like you're, you know, and when I say see you, it's because I'm just, you know, online watching you, (laughs) stalking you clearly. Um, But yeah, I think that... um, that aspect of it can never be underestimated either. And I, as someone who is really good at that is Jacqueline Harvey. She is um, she is my absolute queen when it comes to this kind of stuff because she remembers everybody and everything and she can go to a bookshop she hasn't been to for five years and remember to, the kids' names, you know, like the grandkids' names, um, which is really very impressive. And it's that networking and that rela- those relationships that she has 
um, and that you get from going and actually visiting booksellers. They're so important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think because you know, <laughs> it, it wasn't that long ago that I was an unpublished, you know, writer. And I think it always, I always thought, you know, if I ever got that opportunity, you know, I, I would do everything that I could. I would love to go into a bookshop and see my book there and, you know, if they want you to sign it, et cetera. So it's one of those things that I think, you know, once you appreciate you know, the luck or the hard work or whatever, or the combination of all those things, you kind of want to get out there and, and do as many things as you want. And, you know, I've realized from talking to booksellers, how important hand selling is, you know, when Mm. they're going in and people are saying, particularly with picture books, a lot of them are spine out. And, you know, how do you ever make a choice when you've got all these beautiful picture books and so many of them are spine out? You know, the, the key there is, you know, someone comes in looking for something and the bookshop seller is like oh this you know i know the authors come in here or they know of you or you've had a chat with them or you know they know this book is gonna be right for that person so i've realized how important that aspect of um of our job is too absolutely and 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 also the teacher librarian in the school library absolutely um, is essential because and that's something again that you don't necessarily realize or understand until you've kind of been doing this for a few years but um it's it's so important because if they are using your book in a lesson or they are you know talking about your books or even just having your books in the library display you'll not only get more borrowing which is fantastic but you also have the opportunity for them to actually want to you know then buy the series or get the second one in the in the series or you know whatever it might be um and teacher librarians are such brilliant advocates for Australian authors um you know they they will often you know nominate the Australian book over an international book or if if a kid loves you know something that's coming from overseas they'll be like why don't you try this one next you know that sort of thing and I think um understanding how important the sort of the whole infrastructure of the children's publishing world is um is helps you to understand how you might go about actually spreading the word about your book yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I like what you said as well. The publisher can only do so much, but it really is a partnership between the creatives and the publisher. It absolutely is. And it's really important to remember that public, the publisher loves your book because the publisher has has chosen your book to, to publish, but no one will ever love your book like you love your book and no one That's is so ever going to put the time <laughs> into your book that you will because the, the key is to keep the conversation going around your book you know, beyond the sort of four weeks or six weeks or, you know, I'm still talking about the Mapmaker Chronicles and they've been out for nearly 10 years and they're still selling because I'm still talking about them. And I think, um, and I'm still going, you know, talking about them in schools and I'm still like, they're, they're still coming up. And I think the understanding the importance of that is, is how you sort of start to build that children's author career going forward. Yep. No, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, books are timeless. You know, you often pick Mm. up a book that, you know, hasn't been out this year and I I don't think it matters. So keeping that conversation going. But I do think if you have that angle, you can keep talking about it, like you said. I think then the conversation can continue. No, it's it's really interesting. And um, I am always interested in how people do that side of the business because you go into writing because you love writing, right? Yeah. And then you realise, oh, there's all these other things that yep. I don't know if I'm equipped to do, but, you know, That's you kind right. of have there's to do them. There's writing the books and then yeah. there's being an author. And those yeah. two things are different and they 
that but they go hand in hand. There's sort of different skill sets involved in both of them. That's um, and it's that learning how to be an author that's really um, quite important. Yeah, because I can even imagine it would be quite confronting for people to go, you know, and do workshops in front of kids for the first time. Yes. Well, I've got a I've got an online writing group called Write with Alison Tate, and there's a couple of people in in that group at the moment who are in that very position where they're mm. about to go out and do their first book weeks. And so, you know, we're talking a lot in that group at the moment about, okay, what should my workshop look like? What should I talk about? Well, this is your book. Why don't you explore this, 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 and this? So it's it's about also finding people that you can ask yeah. and 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 going to other people's presentations and seeing what they do and um you sort of got to put in there's a there's a bit of work to put in to make sure that you um give yourself the best possible opportunity because um I remember the first time I did a, a school visit I, I did a practice one uh, at, at my son's school because I was going out to do book week uh, it was with the Mapmaker Chronicles I'd never done anything like it before I'd done a workshop on how to do it and still had no idea. So I put this thing together and I stood up in front of, you know, I think they had two or three classes in there. So it was probably like 80 kids or something. <laughs> um, and I, I, the pressure was off me because I had offered to do it. So it wasn't like I was being paid or there was yeah. no sort of like, there was no pressure from that, but it gave me the opportunity to see what worked and what didn't like where the bits where I was banging on too much and I needed to cut back. Um, I had read a section. It was too long. I realized I only needed to read a page. You know, it was like a practice session is worth it's huge. It's a huge learning experience. And I think it's really worth doing if you are planning your first um, book week visits this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think, you know, I think we're like this anyway, because we do write and you're always learning, but just being really open, like you said, to what other people do. I was mm. a teacher for 17 years, but a high school teacher. So you can imagine the audience is very different for picture books. Yes. So although I was fairly confident going into schools, I really had to flip around of, oh, you know, I've really got to change what I used to do, you know, for year 12 or year seven is uh, a lot yes. different for, you know, prep and kindy. So it was getting my head around that. I was so lucky last year, my first book week ever, to be booked with Tim Harris. Like, how's the oh, luck on that? That's <laughs> really lucky. So did you just follow him around? <laughs> yeah, of course. And I just thought, well, A, I can't suck because that's going to be really obvious next to Tim Harris. Yeah. But I also got to, like, I you know, did a lot of thinking and planning, but I also had such a unique experience of being able to soak up all that is Tim Harris, who is such a natural in the classroom. Mm. And he just tells these stories and engages these kids. And we ended up having a great time. And I just thought, wow, how fortunate am I to have my first book week gig with, with this guy, you know, with this yeah, really. superstar yep. who knows exactly how to engage kids. So for me, that was a brilliant experience. And I learned so much from Tim. And then he went to my kids' school a couple of weeks later and, you know, my son came home and said, oh, my God, he was so engaging. And, you know, I remember this and he told me this story and he told me that story. And I went, you know, that's what you want. You want the kids coming home and talking really enthusiastically about that author that came. You know, that's exactly what you want. And mm -hmm. then what happens when you write middle grade is that you come across your first group of year eights and you realize that they're not talking about you. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you've done. <laughs> just well, so as a high all you can teacher, do, do your best. That's right. But as a high school teacher, <laughs> I used to teach high school. They are talking about you, but probably not in the way that you would want to talk. No, to talk I know. I, I can't remember. Think, I can't think about that. You I just, remember you can't. It was 
they were they were my fashion critics every day like, i didn't ask for it but i'd walk into year 12 and they'd be like oh miss um i don't know if your earrings match your dress today okay cool and then they sort of going you wore black yesterday i'm like wow if only you guys could remember the work <laughs> as much as my weekly outfit so they were my fashion critiques and so i'd get to the stage and I'm like, oh, i've got to make my earrings match my dress today i'm gonna cop heat I know. Well, that, that's the thing. You go to high schools and you've you've got to leave your high school self at home. Like you've got to leave and, and you have to leave behind. You have to try to remember that you're the adult in the room <laughs> and that even though the mean girls are sitting at the back with their arms folded looking at you, that you are the published author <laughs> and you do know what you're talking about. Cause you know, it- I reckon as well with some of the teenagers, if you give them a bit of, you know, a bit of, teenage attitude back and a bit of humor you've won them over oh absolutely you know, so yeah. i used to just um, have a, i just have... throw my children to the wolves and talk about them <laughs> and as they love it and, and i'm just like aren't you glad i'm not your mom and they all agree <laughs> that they are and that's that's it we're mates at that point yeah that's it so i used to be one of those one of those sulky teenagers at the back i can you know yeah, i can I match know. that <laughs> i can imagine yeah you just give it back to them <laughs> I can out-sulk you, baby. That's Don't right. Let's have this out-sulking competition. I was a sulky teenager quite some time ago now, but, hey, it still lives inside you, I think, somewhere else. It does. It really does. <laughs> Whoever you were at 12 is still in there or 13 is still in there. Still in there your, somewhere. And your 17-year-old self is desperate to get out. Oh, wow. My 17-year-old self is probably sulkier than my 12-year-old self, to be honest. <laughs> telling all the secrets now oh dear and I see my daughter who's an absolute twin of mine and my mum just sits back and she laughs her evil laugh and she says I I know exactly what's coming your way (laughs) (laughs) just lots of books Danny you just keep putting her in books don't worry about that just keep using it as fodder for fiction (laughs) that's it that's what I'm gonna have to do to get through (laughs) now you've written like we said, a very different book to others, but is there something that defines an AL Tate book? That's a really interesting question. I think there's a, I think there's a voice in there that is definitely across all of it. I, you know, like a, everyone who knows me and reads my books says that they can hear me talking to them. So it's, there's something in the humour and the the way the words go together. There's always going to be um, action because I'm really plot driven when it comes to what I like to read. I, I, I like a story. I'm not someone who wants to wade through a thousand hours of description. Just doesn't work for me at all. So there's always going to be that sort of really strong plot driven story going on. Um, there's always going to be a, a character that, you know, you, that you're going to fall in love with. I mean, I fall in love with them and that's why I write them. Um, and so the character is is going to, is there to carry that story and the character will carry that story all the way to the end. So I think there's all of those things. There's always a mystery, even in the stories that are not, you know, branded as mysteries because the puzzle stuff is, and the complications are what keep me writing. Um, I don't plot my stories. Uh, so I, I just start at the beginning and then I write till the end. And I feel like that sort of sense of forward motion that I get because I want to know what happens next is drives the story all the way. And I think the reader can read that, can feel that as well. Because, you know, it's like when I wrote the Maven and Reeve mysteries, 
um, particularly the first one, the Firestar, like I found out who did it at the same point the reader did. It was almost like, oh, God, that's who it was. You know? I love that. <laughs> and I think, and, and that's often the case, you know, with my stories. So they're always going to have that. So they're, they're all adventure. They're all mystery. It's just that this one is not almost history. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And it's funny because I'm discovering my writing process, you know, and I think I so want to be a planner because I'm very organized organized in my daily life that I just you know I I long to be this planner who can plan out every chapter and you know neatly in this bow but every time I write I cannot do that so I'm an absolute pantser as well wanting to be uh, a planner so I think I just need to accept who I am Al. Look I I think that's part of um, being a writer and learning who you are as a writer Mm. is accepting that your process, like I have tried um, all sorts of different ways. I probably outline more now than I used to. And that's probably the influence of Alison Rushby, you know, my dear friend and (laughs) member of uh, sort of team member for Your Kids Next Read, because she's always trying to get me to plot my, she's like, it would be so much easier and more efficient (laughs) for you if you would just plot them out. Um, Because she's like a spreadsheet, beat sheet Uh sort of an author. Um, and it look, I, it works really well for her, uh, but it, it just doesn't work for me. And we've talked about it at length. Like it just as soon as I know what's going to happen, I don't want to write the book. Yeah, I'm bored. Because I already know, yeah. Yeah, my so, attention span is very small, yeah, Al. Yeah. And so if I know what happens, it's like, oh, well, I don't really feel like writing that anymore. No. Like I always have a vague, I, I always know where it's going. Like it's, it's you know, like a, you, you can't be a journalist for as long as I have without yep. having an understanding of where the end of the story is. Um, but it doesn't always look like, it doesn't always end up looking like I thought it would. And it, the journey to get there can be, you know, highways and byways. <laughs> yeah, and I love the surprises you get as different things happen in, in your book that you may have had an idea that was going to happen and they're like, oh, hang on, it really makes sense for this to happen, you know, yeah. and then you yeah. get surprised as well. So I, I, I love that exploration. Yeah, it's I, me too. It's the whole discovery aspect of writing is why I do it. Um, so I, I don't think I can – I'm not going to change that now. It's, I'm studying my ways. Look, it seems to have worked for you. So it's working for me so far. <laughs> Nine books in, I'm, I'm, yeah, I feel all right I, about it. I reckon you can be pretty confident in it's working for you, Al. Yeah. I'm still a work in progress. I don't know, but I feel like I'm just a pantser and that's just the way it is. Well, you know, we'll check back in five years and we'll <laughs> see how, you, how things are going for you. You can have a chat with Alison Rushby. She could talk you through some of the I various think, ways to oh. plot your story. I think that might stress me out because I've tried <laughs> lots of ways and I love the whole post-it notes. You know, I've interviewed uh, Kyle Perry who had these beautiful colour-coded poster notes behind him and they were all different colours for different characters. And in my dream life, that's exactly the author wow. I would be, but I am not. I'm just a let's just scribble some mind map ideas and let's go. Let's run. It's funny, you know, I use post-it notes, but I use them. So I've got at the moment on my wall here in my office, I've got like six little groups of post-it notes and they've pretty much got like one word on each. And it's basically every time I think of an idea, of something I am interested in, like feel a feeling or something that makes me sort of question or whatever, Ooh, I, like I write it on a post-it note and then I, I put it, I, I realised that they're starting to sort of come together into mm. five or six different things that could come into one into a book. Yeah. So I've got, yeah, I've got sort of maybe four 
I'm looking mm. at them now. There's probably four there. There's probably the basic the basic ideas for four different books sitting on my wall here. Yeah. And we'll wait and see what what turns up next. Yeah, that's probably my vibe of a post-it mm. note too. Just random mm. ideas that I come back to, and I'm yeah. looking actually at my desk and currently writing on post-it notes as we speak of the good ideas that are coming up as we talk. <laughs> See, it's working. Maybe we just have a chat every week. Who knows? Anything (laughs) could happen. I also have a very, you know, my brain needs, I always have to be doing something. So while I'm talking, I also need to be jotting down ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas I'm just sitting here relaxed chatting to you. So, you know. I am relaxed now. This is me relaxing. Because you're fatigued and not well, remember? Yeah, it is true. It's very true. The fatigue is real, Al. So uh, thoughts to any of you who are also suffering whatever logy this uh, flu is at the moment, but you'll you'll get through. You'll have a couple of bad nights, but you'll get through. Continue (laughs) those liquids, I reckon, and uh, just (laughs) keep scrolling. When I say liquids, water, lots of water and uh, lots of tea. And so, uh, much, so much advice in this podcast. We've done right. writing, we've done illness, we've done child rearing, we've done yeah. dealing with high schoolers. We've now apparently I'm a on. GP. <laughs> apparently you are. I just will put in this disclaimer, I am not a trained uh, medical practitioner. This is just my own personal experience. <laughs> Please see a doctor. <laughs> Oh, dear. Well, as always, time flies whenever we talk because we just go on these tangents. I love it when I sort of think, oh, I better put questions down so I, you know, I feel like I'm prepared and then I never use them. That's actually my favourite kind of interview. So I love how we've we've chatted and we've riffed and we've gone on all these tangents. And, um, yeah, I I think think it's been really interesting. We've covered some territory, haven't we? Some ground. You know, I've just discovered that we just did this podcast, How We Write. We just Yeah, we did. We just <laughs> had a couple of ideas and then we just ran with it. And then we knew it was going to end at some point and now here we are. At some point and it's only ending for me because I can hear my kids in the background and they really need to go to bed, Al. Yeah, no, that's true. They do. Right. As, fact, as do, I as need to go you, to bed. Danny, as do you. <laughs> I need to go to bed. As do you. It's really well, about you, me, Thank Al. you for getting off your sick bed to speak to me today. It's been <laughs> An absolute pleasure. Well, I just thought, I, I, you know, I heard myself and I went, oh, I now have the A.L. Tate voice. <laughs> it's only going to be temporary. I better get on this. <laughs> Go and record your answering service now. Oh, my God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a new intro and everything with this sick voice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Thanks, gosh. Al. Always fun chatting, and I'm sure we're gonna we got a few ideas up our sleeves too for some you know uh, takeovers and not takeovers some uh, crossovers. We do. So that should be fun too. That will, and I'm looking forward to that as well. All right, go to bed, and <laughs> I will. Thank you. I will talk to you next time. <laughs>